0: First off, it's really about me knowing where I'm going. So, uh, you know, the Cheshire cat from Alice in Wonderland said if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. And I think too often people are getting mentoring and learning things and getting wisdom and reading lots of books, but they don't have any intention of where they're actually headed.
1: Welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I'm stoked you've decided to join me on this journey to bring about a massive and positive change in the lives of others. Every week, you're going to join me behind closed doors, where I will introduce you to entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators from a variety of industries to learn how their contributions are impacting the lives of others and how they are having a game-changing impact in the world. Thanks for investing your time with me today. Now, grace for impact. On today's episode of the Impact Entrepreneur Show, we welcome Cameron Harold. Cameron is known around the world as the business growth guru. He is the mastermind behind hundreds of companies' exponential growth. Cameron's built a dynamic consultancy, and his current clients include a big four wireless carrier and a monarchy, literally. What do his clients say they like most about him? He isn't a theory guy. They like Cameron because he speaks only from experience. He earned his reputation as the business growth guru by guiding his clients to double their profit and double their revenue in just three years or less. Cameron has been an entrepreneur from day one. At the age of 21, he had 14 employees. By 35, he had helped build his first two $100 million companies. That's right, not one, but two $100 million companies. By the age of 42, Cameron engineered 1-800-GOT-JUNK's spectacular growth from $2 million to $106 million in revenue and 3,100 employees and he did that in just six years. His companies landed over 5,200 media placements in the same six years, including coverage on Oprah. Not only does Cameron know how to grow businesses, but his delivery from the stage is second to none. The current publisher of Forbes magazine stated, Cameron Herald is the best speaker I've ever heard. He hits grand slams. When Cameron steps off the stage, he doesn't stop teaching. He is the author of the global best-selling book, business book, Double Double, in its seventh printing and in multiple translations around the world. Cameron is a top-rated international speaker and has been paid to speak in 26 countries. He's also the top-rated lecturer at MIT's Entrepreneurial Master's Program and a powerful and effective speaker at Chief Executive Officer, and Chief Operating Officer, leadership events around the world. Look for Cameron's three new business books on public relations, meetings, and how to get your team to see your vision for your company, which we'll be releasing this year, 2016. I promise you, folks, this episode is so valuable. There's so much rich uh, mental nourishment inside of this episode. Cameron does not disappoint. So please bust out your pads Pen and paper. Take some notes and brace for impact. Well, hey, Cameron. Welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Really excited to have you here um, and to have our listeners hear your story and hear what you're passionate about. And uh, you know, this this show is is all about going above and beyond the platform, product, and service that our guests offer and to dive a little bit deeper behind the veil to find out what really drives them to do what they do. And uh, before we get into kind of the heart of the matter, I always like to start out with a fun question uh, that provides a little bit of insight into maybe one's outlook. And, and that question is, if you could pick any superpower, what would it be and how would you use it?
0: Wow. If I could pick any superpower, I think I'd, I'd pick the one that my, uh, my oldest son has and it's his smile. Um, I've been talking to him about it and telling him that he's got it too. And every time he just flashes his smile, the whole world stops and are willing to do anything for him. I think it's just a really powerful, um, it's a, it's a tool, but I think it's also just a really something I really appreciate in him.
1: Well, totally. I mean, it, it, have you ever read, um, how to win friends and influence people? <laughs> I have not. And I've been talking to him about it as well.
0: So it's now gone back to the top of my list. So, uh, we'll both be reading it this month.
1: Yeah because they actually talk about that um the power the power of a smile. And it's really interesting that book was written in like 1932 or something like that. Yeah. And you know it the 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 basic tenets of the book are still ring very true today and that they've they've uh, re-released it multiple times, republished it to kind of bring it up to speed and change some of the language to make it more current but but the basic principles are still there and it's amazing how simple it is and how powerful it is and how when you re- when you're reading it you're like oh my gosh how am i not already doing this and and it comes down to the fact that we really don't live life intentionally right. you know we 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 have as you and i were talking about before we started the show we have Tons of people competing for our attention on a regular basis, whether it's uh, advertisers, social media, um, you know, other family members, and so our 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 attention is a very limited and valuable resource. And so, what happens, I think, is that we're so like fried or don't know which direction to go. We don't live intentionally, and we're just waiting for like the next shiny object to come. And uh, direct us basically, but but the book tells you a lot about all of those principles. Smiling is one of them, and uh, he shares wonderful stories in the book. So I'm excited uh, to to hear that you and your son are reading that together. What a special journey you guys are about to go on!
0: Yeah, we've uh, we've committed to do a couple of these, and this was one that was on the list. So it's just it's literally going to the top of the list, and it'll be at our door tomorrow.
1: That's cool. That's cool. I love. I also I love how you are. Encouraging your kids um, to to read books like that, and I, I know that um, one of one of your kids, maybe the same, maybe it's your son. He read he just recently read Think and Grow Rich.
0: That's the same one, uh,
1: and because uh, I, I remember you talking about that in Jordan's interview. And what a, I mean, what a great you know nutrition for the brain at that age to instill that kind of uh, message into your son's, your kid's mind frame, because, you know, you know, most of his peers are off playing Minecraft probably.
0: Well, I think it's still okay to still be a kid, but I think to your point about living intentionally, I think a lot of it I've done subconsciously or unconsciously. And, um, now it's time to, to kind of ratchet it up again. So. Totally, S- that's S- awesome. To a podcast last night that uh, Tim Ferriss was doing with Tony Robbins, and I was just kind of in awe of, of listening to you know Tim, who I've been close, really close personal friends with for about ten years, um, you know, listening to him interview Tony and just going, "Well, wow. guys are just operating at a
1: different level." Yeah, it it really it's it's very amazing. I actually um, i ha- I have that downloaded on my my iPhone. I haven't listened to that one yet. Um, I actually just listened to one that. Um, Joe Polish and Dan Solomon did on 10 X talk with, uh, Bo. Gosh, Bo Beeson, I think is his last name about the power of storytelling. Okay. Uh, it's a really, really great episode. It's about one hour and Bo, his, his, he, that's all he does is teach people how to tell their story now. And it's incredibly powerful. So I encourage you to to check that one out too. Sounds great. Um, you have a, an amazing background, uh, of entrepreneurship, and you write about it in your book. Uh, people know you from uh, 1-800-GOT-JUNK, and they know you from speaking at all kinds of uh, corporate functions. I, I've heard you speak twice at Vistage. You know, I, I'd like to kind of go backwards a little bit to find out why you're an entrepreneur. Was there a particular moment, an impact moment, I've called it, that kind of launched you on this journey?
0: Yeah, for sure and, and I actually I actually did a, a TED talk that's still on ted.com about raising kids as entrepreneurs instead of lawyers but the the real seminal moment that I remember I mean I was groomed for sure to be an entrepreneur by my father he groomed all three my brother and sister and I and we all own our own companies today um, you know I married into a family of entrepreneurs it's really it's the space that I know and like but the real moment for me that that really showed me that being an entrepreneur was where I wanted to be was, one day, my dad took me to a golf course, and it was the middle of the day. It was a Wednesday, and it was about 12 o'clock. And he, he pointed out to me all of the people who were playing golf at 12 o'clock. And he said, you know, this guy owns that car dealership, and this guy owns this clothing company, and this guy owns this business. And he kept showing me each of the people that were playing golf and told me what company they owned. And we went out and played golf and came back after four hours, and we were sitting up on the balcony. And we were having our French fries and my cherry Coke. He um, started showing me all the people who were walking into the golf course to start playing golf around four thirty or five o'clock. And it was dentists and doctors and teachers and lawyers and accountants. And his lesson was the people who can play golf in the middle of the day are the ones who control their free time. And the way they control their free time is by controlling the way they make their money, which is by running their own company. And for me, that was really powerful because I remembered at 13 years old, what I wanted more than anything was my father's time. I wanted to spend time with him doing stuff. And it just showed me that that was the way I was going to be able to do my stuff and have my time to, you know, enjoy my life. So that was really the moment. It wasn't about money. It was absolutely about controlling my time.
1: Oh, my gosh. That's what, what an incredible story. Um, and I mean, that's like burned into your memory. You know that that moment. I can show you the chair that I was sitting in. Oh man, I bet you still. I bet you can taste that cherry coke and those French fries. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So, so tell me a little bit more about like uh, mentorship. It's been really important to me. I've I've got a lot of different mentors. I got a uh, a mental health coach, aka therapist. I've got a fitness coach at CrossFit. I've got you know business coaches. You know that that's really been impactful for me and helped guide my path. Can you share a story about how mentorship either in either being a mentor, because I know you mentor a lot of people or being mentored has uh, impacted you and perhaps influenced your outlook. Sure.
0: I mean, you've completely distracted me with fries and gravy right now though as well. So (laughs) I'm going to attempt to stay focused here. So the mentoring for me comes in various forms. Um, First off, it's really about me knowing where I'm going. So Uh, you know, the Cheshire Cat from Alice in Wonderland said, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. And I think too often people are getting mentoring and learning things and getting wisdom and reading lots of books, but they don't have any intention of where they're actually headed. So I'm very, very clear on where I'm going, both in my life and with my business. I created this tool called a vivid vision that I actually cover it in chapter one of my book. And because I'm so clear on where I'm taking my business and my personal life, then I actually understand who I'm supposed to be searching out to get mentoring, whether it's around health or fitness or business or, or what have you. I, I'm very clear on where I'm going, so I'm, I'm very clear on those intentions and, um, and spending time with the right mentors. So that's step one is just knowing where I'm going. Um, I've also created what I call you know the Mentor Board of Advisors, which is really an idea that almost everyone that I meet can add something to me in some way and help me in some way in my life. Um, So when I meet someone, if they're giving me a physical business card, I usually flag the business card. I'll kind of fold over the corner of somebody who's really special or who I really want to spend time getting to know later, um, or I'll write on the card right away what they're strong in so that I remember that in the future. You know, I add that to the notes file of my my contacts so that when I'm looking up something, um, I can kind of go back to that person. And then I also spend time with with a few very specific groups of masterminds that I spend time learning with and and embedding myself in to further what I'm working on in my business and those will change up over the years. you know I won't necessarily be in the same group for for ten years, but um, you know maybe for three or four and then I'll migrate to the next group or a different group that'll be fit you know helping me to learn from so I think that's probably the third area. the first is, focusing on where I'm going. The second is that mentor board of advisors that I can always learn from people. And then the third is surrounding myself with, with others who are also learning and and kind of in that same focus area of masterminds.
1: Yeah. The mastermind component is, is really a special thing. If you can find a a really good, good group of other people that have different skill sets, um, but are, are passionate about, you know, entrepreneurship and growing it's a really special thing when you can find that and you can you can be vulnerable and authentic with them you can bounce ideas off of them and they can really help take your your business and your life to the next level and I've experienced that as well um with with a mastermind that i'm that I'm a part of which has been it's a we've been together for eight years and uh and it's just it's a ton of fun we we work hard when we're to, when we're together and we we play hard and have have a lot of fun together as well you know, one one of the first things that you said about that was knowing where you're going. And it's funny that you brought that up because I just had an interview with Amy Cosper, the editor-in-chief of Entrepreneur magazine, and it was a lot of fun. And we talked about um the number one differentiator between entrepreneurs and companies that succeed and those that succeed less or don't succeed at all. And that number one differentiator is clarity of vision. Yeah. And uh And so it just is a confirmation of what she's saying, you know, and she, you know, she sees it, you see it, I mean, you know, you've, you've experienced it and you're teaching others, um, how to do that. And, and I think that that's so important because again, we are, we don't, there's so many choices and so many paths and directions that we can go in today that not knowing which road to take can ultimately sink you so thanks for sharing that that's a wonderful insight
0: well there's also just way too many big shiny objects you know we we, we've all got as entrepreneurs most of us have you know add or i call it ados which is attention deficit oh shiny um (laughs) and, and the reality is there's lots of great opportunities but they don't necessarily take you where you're supposed to be going so one of the one of the examples of that is last year i I decided to create a a mastermind program for entrepreneurs and then I kind of worked really hard at launching it and then realized, you know what, it's not really my passion. I love the one-on-one coaching that I've got and I'm actually creating a a model called the COO Alliance, which is a a larger group mastermind program in person held in Scottsdale, but it's only for the second in commands. And that's a model that I'm really passionate about that no one in the world is even running a program like. Um, and I just know that the, the traction's already, you know, taken off with it. And, but I was, I was unfortunately kind of following the leads of a lot of people who were saying, Oh, you should do this. Oh, you should do this. And it seemed right at the time, but it really wasn't, it wasn't aligned with my vision of where I was trying to take my business or my skill set or, um, or applying my time. So we often are, are, you know, we're going to stumble upon great ideas and the right ones will present themselves, but often the wrong ones do as well. Yeah. That filter that we can give ourselves by having a clear vivid vision of where we're going um helps us with the decision making.
1: Yeah, having having that vivid vision empowers you to say no to good things so that you could say yes to great things. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, you know, when when I, in the times I've heard you speak, you take the audience through an exercise where you identify you you ask everybody to stand up and these are all like CEOs of some of small businesses, some of hundred million dollar plus businesses, uh, and you ask the, you you start listing off these different traits, and I think it's a uh, a wonderful way to raise awareness about some of the things that we've been talking about—an important subject, ADD, and uh, that my, that's probably largely being approached in the wrong way as it relates to the way we, we look at ourselves and also the education system. Can you take us through that exercise?
0: Yeah, the, the idea is that you know, most entrepreneurs are wired very differently from the rest of society. So I read out a list of, of 11 traits of entrepreneurs. Um, the traits are, are you often filled with energy? And then what I would ask your listeners to do is, is kind of check off how many of these 11 um, that they would find themselves or find you know, similarities with. So are they filled with energy? Are they flooded with ideas? Are they driven? Are they restless? Are they unable to keep still? That's five. Are they working on little sleep? Do they get euphoric? Do they get easily irritated by minor obstacles? Do they burn out periodically? Then I throw one in for fun. Do they act out sexually, which is flirting? Um, And then do they feel persecuted by those who do not accept their vision? So most of us, most entrepreneurs will identify with at least nine or 10, if not 11 of those traits. Now, what's interesting is if you ask a group of lawyers or accountants or doctors or dentists, they might be at two or three of those 11. Mm. Well, the weird thing is those aren't necessarily traits that just describe entrepreneurs. Those are actually the clinical diagnosed traits for bipolar disorder. And most entrepreneurs have the traits of manic depression. We also have a lot of the traits. I have 17 of the 18 signs of attention deficit disorder. So according to the medical community and the school system, we're disasters. You know, We should be medicated. We should be you know, kept away from the sane kids. Well, the reality is we are sane. We're wired exactly the way we're supposed to be wired. They should not be medicating us. And we should learn how to actually leverage those strengths and not call them weaknesses anymore because they're absolutely strengths that we have. I can, give, I can give you the reasons why manic depression is a strength for us and why, why ADD is a strength.
1: Sure, rock, rock and roll with that. Well, the, the mania
0: in the manic depression is what gets people excited and following us. You know, that energy that we have, that crazy passion, that excitement, that's what gets people to follow our ideas. It's that un, uninformed optimism or unbridled energy. As a leader, you need that. So that, that that energy, though, is impossible to keep up for a long period of time. Um, You know, and also as an entrepreneur, you're, you're, you're really carrying a lot of stress that you can't necessarily talk to people about, you know, you can't tell your VPs that you're stressed. You can't turn to your board and talk to them about your anxieties or your fears or your worries with your business. So you're often left in a very lonely world and a big pressure cooker which is why masterminds and groups like EO or YPO or Vistage can be so powerful or a coach as well. So the the entrepreneur is often feeling this magnification of stress. And that's where after the high energy periods, they often break down and they feel these intense lows or intense stress periods. Well, they try to work through them. And the reality is as entrepreneurs, you can't work through those. It's like a high performance athlete. You can't be performing at your maximum potential every single day. You need to take days off and weeks off to, to recharge your batteries in between the events. Um, so as entrepreneurs, we need to learn that a little bit. The normal employee can turn to all kinds of people to talk about their stress. So I'm not saying that normal employees don't have stress or that normal workers don't have stress. What I am saying is though that the magnification of stress that the entrepreneur is under is massive. So they, we need the energy that we have for people to follow us. And we need to realize that the stress and depression we often have afterwards is simply us recharging our batteries or needing to recharge our batteries. So those are just normal stages. Um, The ADD that we have, the attention deficit disorder, prevents us from focusing on stuff for long, long periods of time. But the strength that it gives us is it allows us to see everything at once. We can see the market, the economy, our suppliers, our customers. We can feel the pulse and the energy. We can see where the business is going sideways, but we don't get too bogged down with it. What we end up doing is almost getting bored of the details, which gets us to delegate those off, if we're smart, to people that like to focus on them. So because we see everything and we get bored, we can actually do lots, start lots, and delegate faster than the average person can. So when the teacher is saying you need to sit still and pay attention and memorize stuff, that's impossible for an entrepreneur. We can't sit still. We can't focus. We can't memorize things. What we recognize is the shortcuts. We identify really quickly all the smart kids in certain subjects. What we should be doing is learning how to delegate our work to those people, just like we do in business. So I have a huge, massive issue with the normal education system when it comes to the 3% that are really wired to be entrepreneurs.
1: Yeah, no, I know. I totally agree. And you know, I've got uh, many stories and friends of who were you know categorized in that three percent and were you know put in in a different uh, room essentially and and treated very poorly because largely because I, I still think that the education system doesn't un- they don't understand ADD the medical the medical community doesn't understand ADD and and the potential that these kids have and and what they're exhibiting. And, and parents are, are looking at the medical community, the edu- educational community, and, and not, not initially going outside of that to try to find resources to uh, empower their kids to achieve really great things and realize the full potential that they have. And instead, a lot of these kids who are smart beyond measure end up getting so bored that they, they find other extracurricular activities to entertain their brains.
0: Right. And, and it's, it's not the education systems or the medical community's fault for not understanding entrepreneurs. It's it's really hard for them to understand us because they're not wired like us. Right. It's almost like a person who is right-handed trying to understand what a left-handed person feels, or it's very hard for a male to understand what a female's life is like, or a female to understand what a male's life is like. Like we can try to empathize, but until you walk a mile in that person's shoes, how can you possibly know? Totally. So what ends up happening is we get almost discriminated against, um, and, and they just don't understand because it's so hard for them to. So I think what we need is for the entrepreneurs to kind of rise up and finally say, stop medicating our kids. Stop saying there's something wrong with them. Maybe they're wired exactly as they're supposed to be. Maybe this is how they're supposed to think, and starting to show the education system that they can actually function in very high-functioning ways if they would try to you know, accommodate for those styles.
1: Yeah, you know, you know who Ned Hallowell is? Yeah, of course. So, I think that you and and he and a few others are are starting to create a lot of a great awareness around this issue. And he he said I was listening to another podcast that Joe Polish and and uh and Dan Sullivan did and, and it was from it was a recording from Joe's Genius Network event, uh one of the 10-minute talks and uh Ned was saying that uh, ADD is not a deficit, not a disorder. It's a trait. And that most people with ADD are visionaries. They have Ferrari engines for, in their brain. And and we really just need to figure out a way to control the power of that mind. I mean, you're not just going to... A Ferrari, you're not going to press on uh, the gas 100% of the time. You, you're going to have different controls. And he even shared a story. I mean, like, I had never thought about it this way. But like... The founding fathers of a, of the United States of America, I mean, they probably had ADD or something. I mean, who who in their quote unquote right mind, you know, gets in a a, a ship and huh? goes across the Atlantic to found a country? You know, I mean, right.
0: you just don't wake up in the morning and say, "Hey, I don't. Well, why don't we just hop in a boat and let's go start something together?" Like that's just not a normal thing to do, right? We should should have medicated those guys.
1: I know, especially a boat made entirely of wood, right like, <laughs> you know?
0: yeah they're crazy. those they should have been medicated and probably sent to a special school,
1: yeah, totally, you know another way Ned calls it controlling the power of the mind, another way to say it is that they need focus, and so why is focus it se- it seems to be a really big buzzword lately, kind of like disruption is or was, uh, but it's it's not going too far to say that focus can really be the the difference between succeeding and failing. And we talked about that a moment ago in terms of having a vivid vision, but why do you think focus is so important and how can entrepreneurs with these supercharged brains get focused? Sure.
0: So the the first, so focus is important. And the analogy I use is like light. When you take light and you disperse it, it'll light up a room. But when you take light and you focus it intensely, it becomes like a laser and it can cut through steel so the idea is how do we take our efforts and focus them given the restraints or constraints that we have of our ADD? So there's a few little games that we can play with ourselves as entrepreneurs. The first is to make sure that everyone around us is literally on the same page. So that vivid vision that I talk about in, in chapter one of Double Double is really about getting the what your company looks like three years from now described in vivid detail in a three- or four-page written document. And then giving that three- or four-page vivid vision to everyone, all of your employees, suppliers, customers, potential employees, literally sharing that vivid vision of what your company looks like with the world. So that way, your your initial efforts and your ongoing strategic discussions and learning are all driving towards that. So that's step one. Step two is making sure that you always continually surround yourselves with, with the people that are stronger than you In the areas that you may not be strong in. So, unlike in school where we're supposed to memorize everything and become, you know, get graded on all subjects, pick one or two areas of the entrepreneur that is your unique ability that you love and get energized from and start delegating everything else except genius, you know, getting all of the other parts of your business off your plate and getting them out to either outsource people or freelancers or, you know, assistants or, or hiring people, but getting that stuff off your plate. So, that's starting to focus your effort around the stuff that you're great at and you get energy from next area would be making sure that you're setting proper goals annual quarterly monthly and weekly and daily goals you know i actually have an accountability partner and you've mentioned his name twice in our interview but joe polish and i set our daily top three business goals with each other and send them to each other using an app commit to three every single day he sends his three to me i send my three to him and it's just and accountability at a, a fairly granular level um, of what we're focusing on for the day. Next thing is recognizing that we need we need breaks. We need natural breaks in our day. So only scheduling you know sixty to seventy percent of your calendar during the day and leaving the rest as open or free time or project work. Um, allowing yourself to sit in different parts of your home or different parts of your business. You know I hated having an office. In fact, for the last probably twelve months at running one eight hundred got junk when I was the COO. I didn't even have a desk. I would just go and sit in different people's desks during the day if they're away on holidays. And I would just work from different business areas. And that stimulated my brain enough and fed my ADD so I didn't get bored or restless. Hmm. Um, Even right now, I started this morning doing a call with a CEO that I mentor in Kenya. started in the living room, finished off our 90-minute coaching call. I was working from my home office um, then took the kids to school in the morning and came back and now I'm doing my interview for you. I'm in the living room again. And later this morning, I'll probably be back into the office and working and I'll allow myself to work from three or four different places today, just because it stimulates my brain and allows me to feel, you know, that there's some progress or momentum. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing is I use an app called Pomodoro and Pomodoro is a 15 or 20 minute burst of focus. And then a natural alarm goes off and it gives you a, a kind of a break or a reward stimulation to, you know, relax and go do email or something. But, um, you know, focusing in bursts. And then lastly, is just not beating ourselves up. We need to stop this whole guilt cycle of feeling bad that we're not focused for 12 hours a day or, or focused for five days a week. It's impossible. There's not a single athlete. No single high performance athlete could focus for 50 hours a week. So how can we expect ourselves to we need to give ourselves a little bit of a break and allow ourselves to hyper focus for maybe eight hours a week, do some buffer work for maybe 16 or 20 hours a week, and then, you know, have lots of free time and break scheduled in between just to recharge our brains.
1: Yeah, that that's the buffer day component. Like I just started to reinstitute that it's kind of funny, like how you start things and they work and then and then we get bored of that thing yep. that's working and then we do something that doesn't work. And And so I did buffer days like last, like last year I did, I did buffer days like Mondays and Fridays and that, and it worked really well. And then like the last quarter of, of 2015, for whatever reason, I, I didn't even consciously do it. I like just stopped doing buffer days and like everything went to hell in a handbasket, you know? And so I've just with my team, reinstituted. Okay. I got, I have to have these days because I get so much more done and I'm not distracted by all the, you know, the ADOS, you know, (laughs) and it's, it's so important. The, The other thing you mentioned, did you mention there's an app called commit to three?
0: Yeah, it's called commit to three and you can set up different groups. So I also have a friend and I set my daily personal top three goals with him and I separate them. So my daily, you know, my personal top three today are, I'm going for a run, meditating, and then reading for 30 minutes. And so I'll just commit to those three personal goals to him on a daily basis. And then at the end of the day, you just check off which of the three you got done. It's not tied to any project planning. It's not tied to anything special. It's literally just kind of based on this idea that when you commit your goals to someone in writing, there's a higher chance that they're actually going to get done.
1: That Yeah, that I've not heard about that app, but I am immediately downloading that. It's extraordinarily powerful. And and the Pomodoro, because I actually I was I was looking for an app or I thought I figured that the iPhone would have this built in where you can set a, a timer that, that automatically resets and and uh alerts you, but you really can't it's not intuitive. There's no real intuitive way to do it. So Pomodoro is, is the name of that other app Pomodoro
0: is the is the um the strategy or the the tool, but the, the app that I use that is running Pomodoro is called Focus Time.
1: Okay. Okay. Awesome. I'm gonna I'm going to download both of those, and we'll include those in links in in the show notes too. Hey, when you started, um, when you with 100 got junk, how many employees did you guys start with and finish with?
0: Um, when I when I joined the company, I was the 14th employee at the head office, um, and when I left, uh, and that was in October of 2000. And then when I left six and a half years later, I was the chief operating officer through that run. Uh, we had about three thousand one hundred employees system
1: wide. That, that's amazing. I mean, that's just incredible. And so, I, I kind of framed this next question for you because I'm sure that you experienced this. I know, I know you had had to. You know, we have a convergence of generations that are working and collaborating and leading each other, and then we have this rapid pace of technological advancement. That you mix in there, and uh, and you know, at times, I, I imagine that leading an organization like that can be can be overwhelming, not only to the leadership, but also to, you know, the the micro teams that exist within the organization. So, how can entrepreneurs and leader approach leading teams that consist of millennials, Gen Xers, Boomers, and the remaining uh, workers that are a part of? the greatest generation because there are some, I mean, one of my mentors is 94 years old and he is uh, still uh, up with the crack of dawn and, and uh, pounding nails.
0: Yeah. It's the first time in history that four generations have ever worked in a workforce. And, and starting this summer, it'll be the first time in history that five have actually all worked. So you've got the traditionalists that are older than 73 years old. Currently the baby boomers that are 51 to 72 um, gen X, which is 36 to 50. Gen Y, which is 19 to 35. And now Gen Z, um, Generation Z, which is going to be 18 years old this summer, they're going to be coming in for summer jobs. So you could have five generations um, working in the same organization this summer, which is going to be pretty wild. The, I think the first part that I try to get people to understand is, by the way, one of the, the global um, phenoms in the Gen Z space, the guy named Connor Blakely, you should totally interview this guy, I brought him out to the Genius Network last month and introduced him to Joe's group there. But spectacular, uh, amazing kid. And he's got some great insights as to this this group of people that are 18 and under. Um, What we have to do is really understand the strengths of each of those different generations and understand the way that they work and the way that they think. So, you know, traditionalists can't understand why these darn kids wear their headphones to work. Well, they wear their headphones to work because that's the way they focus. They've always worn headphones when they've done all their homework. When when baby boomers and traditionalists were doing homework, they didn't have headphones to even plug into their stereos. Oh, so, that's a good point. So they couldn't wear them. You know, when I was in grade 10, we got the yellow Walkman with the cassette tape. Well, you just didn't bother wearing it all the time because you had to keep flipping the cassette tape over constantly. So we didn't get into the habit. That Gen Y and uh, Gen Z is is used to. Um, You know, baby boomers have that habit of physical paper mapping and, and paper process. And the reason that they think you need to write things down is that's the way their brain works. Well, their brain works because it didn't have computers to learn from. And they didn't, you know, my son last night was doing homework and he decided to use Google Translate to help him with his French homework. And a baby boomer would go, well, that's cheating. And I'm like, God, that's brilliant because that's that's absolutely what you should be doing. You know, just use the tools at your fingertips. So we need to understand how each generation works and leverage their strengths and then also teach each other. Traditionalists and baby boomers can learn a ton from Gen X and Gen Y and Gen Z on leveraging technology. And then, you know, Gen Y can learn a ton from them on, you know, business process and planning and and leveraging a network in the old-fashioned way, and truly building deep relationships. Um, you know, it's pretty incredible that they got and built a lot of the companies that they built without a computer. So, what did they do? How did they do that? How did they, you know, deepen those relationships? How did they they leverage the agreements they had? Well, what did they do in learning from them? So, I think part of it is just really trying to learn from each other and trying to um, see the strengths and the wisdom that each group
1: brings to the table. 2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call. You know, it's amazing because you just mentioned that it's amazing to think about the companies that were built without technology without the technology that exists today. You know, and we and we take a lot of it for granted. And if we just think about, uh, like the space program, for instance, okay. So like you've got Elon Musk who's, and, and Richard Branson, all these guys that are at Peter Diamandis that are, that are really into like next level entrepreneurship in outer space and they're launching these test rockets and they're doing all of these things. Right. And so the news covers this stuff and, and you, you say, Oh, Elon Musk is launching another, um, uh, rocket to see if it can uh, take off and land vertically. Um, that's great, but what we don't realize, what especially what what a lot of Gen uh, Gen Xers and Millennials and Gen Z don't realize is that when John F. Kennedy got up and stood in front of the nation and in, in front of the world and said, "We're going to go to the moon," they didn't have any. They didn't have any of the tech available. I mean, they just had a budget. And you know they had they said NASA go after it you know and and they created through this vivid clear vision whether the motivation behind it was was good or bad they had this vision of achieving this goal and landing on the moon and they did it it's amazing what can be created and all of the different byproducts that came out of that particular venture venture such as the vacuum
0: yeah so when you when you think about you know what they were able to do, and and literally to 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 you know the computers that were the size of rooms that are less powerful than our cell phones right now, and they were able to put a man on the moon. How can we not turn to that generation
1: and learn from them? Totally, totally, because they they had to think outside of the box. They had to be creative. I mean, way, I mean, outside, they had, way, outside yeah, the box. way outside the box. Yeah, they had to invent stuff from nothing.
0: Well, it's interesting. You mentioned Elon Musk. So I was a reference for Elon and his brother Kimball back in 1994 in their very first round of funding before anyone on the planet had heard of Elon. I oh, would be a reference because Kimball, his brother, worked for me in 93 at College Pro Painters. And no one wanted to back Elon with their company Zip2 because he was so far out of the box. They wanted to actually back the operational experience of College Pro Painters, which was a very offline painting business. So um, you know, that's that's a kind of a a pretty good example of really embracing the skill set of a group of people that maybe the technology set weren't embracing. And you know, they embraced Kimball because he had some strong operational depth. Had they not embraced that, Elon Musk would have never gone on to do PayPal or Tesla or SpaceX because his first round of funding, they only had one employee when I was a reference for them, and they got their funding based on the old school painting business.
1: That's amazing. <laughs> um have you have you heard of the book Originals? I have, but I've not read it yet. I I uh I'm I'm getting ready to buy it cuz I just listened to the TED Talk that I think his name is Adam or Alex Grant or Adam Grant? Adam Grant. Yeah, That's that he just
0: He spoke this year at the TED conference. I was there again this year. Oh
1: oh awesome. I mean it that talk was amazing and and to hear the story about Warby Parker. Yeah. Uh I mean how crazy is that and it just is it's just another example of what you're talking about and furthermore all of those quote unquote originals the all of those people would have been labeled as ADD and not focused and not capable of of achieving what the world or the industry or whatever uh, prescribed them uh, to achieve. So it's a real, it's going to be an interesting book.
0: It's funny. It's funny that you're actually, we're going through this right now and, and you'd be, you'd be laughing if you saw what I'm doing. So I'm, I'm very focused on our our talk, but I'm also very ADD. So I need something to do. Um, I go to the main Ted conference every year. I've gone five years in a row now to Ted. And as, as you and I are sitting, sitting, doing this, and we're talking about Adam Grant's Ted talk, I was literally sitting unpacking some of the things from my Ted gift bag this year. Um, that's funny. And as I'm sitting doing my interview with you, so.
1: That's awesome. Yeah, it was, did you speak at, this year at, at TED? No,
0: I didn't speak this year. I just go, I go to, I call it ideas having sex. I go to completely unplug <laughs> from um, from the business world and just get exposed to really cool people and cool ideas. And um, my wife and I both go, actually. We're really,
1: really fortunate to be able to attend every year. That's awesome. I've, I've never attended uh, a, a TED Conference or a TEDx for that matter. Oh, yeah. you've
0: got yeah. The TEDx is now are spectacular. Some of them, some of the TEDxs are you know the TEDx Vancouver I think is five thousand attendees. Oh my gosh, wow! The main TED is is amazing, but the TEDx um, community all over the world is is really
1: really worthwhile going to. I I, I I'm going to put that on my uh, commit to do list
0: and go with no reason other than just to go and experience and unplug your brain and plug it into ideas. It's just cool. Like don't go to try to learn anything specific for business. Yeah, just go for the sake of going.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think that that's prop that's sage advice. One of the one of the things that um, was in your book that that I l- loved because I also read this book and it had a big impact on me and my team is the Dream Manager by Matthew Kelly. Yeah, spectacular, amazing book, uh, amazing guy. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to talk to him. I have.
0: I had my kids and I went for dinner with him. He was in Vancouver a few years ago, and we were able to go for dinner.
1: Yeah, he is a, a fascinating guy. And so I don't think companies pay attention enough to this. I think that this book is like a must read for leaders because they don't re- take time to recognize that not only themselves, but their team all the way down you know, from, from the top all the way down to the, the receptionist at the company, they all have dreams. And if you could build your company around um, helping your people Achieve their most important dreams. Like crazy, how how powerful that is, and how much loyalty that builds into a company. And I, I heard it recently that um, that people don't leave companies; they they leave leaders. You got it. And if you can build this into how you lead a company or how you leave any kind of an organization. I mean, it's going to be so powerful. So how how did you guys roll this into 1-800-GOT-JUNK? And what was some of the impact that you saw? A few
0: ways. So I I uncovered the book years ago, and a friend of mine, John Rulon, told me about the book, The Dream Manager, and I read it. And then I had all of the employees on the leadership team at 1-800-GOT-JUNK read it. I've since had all of my, um, my clients read it as well. The general idea is that if you care more about your employees' personal dreams and personal goals... If you care about their fears, their insecurities, their desires, their dreams, if you care more about that than you do about the um uh the, the business, that your employees will go through brick walls for you. So one of the general ideas from the dream manager is that that, and it's all based on a true story. Um, and I've actually met Mary, who who the book is about. She and I are in strategic coach together in Dan's oh, 10X, wow, cool. in Dan's 10X program together. So I'll see her next week actually in Chicago. Um, so, so sh- sh- one of the the ideas is that you get all of your employees on day one or in week one to write their bucket list, to write down as close to 101 things that they want to do or try or learn or or succeed at or improve at or places to go or countries to visit, whatever. Just come up with a list of 101 things that they want to do before they die. And then your role at the company, either as the leader or business leader or CEO, or you can hire a dream manager if you're big enough, is to help coach people and connect them with people and un- unblock their obstacles and-, and get them to start crossing things off their bucket list. And imagine if you could start getting the people on your team to achieve the things that they want to do before they die and how much more engaged they would be in the company and how much more fun your business would be. Um, so that's really the whole the, the whole purpose behind or the, the, um, the idea behind um how we took the the dream manager into our organization
1: yeah it's 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 a huge uh it's huge for any organization and team, and even at the individual level it's a good reminder to uh, not let your dreams fall by the wayside yeah so in in the book, you talk about the roller coaster ride of entrepreneurship, and there's five stages the the uninformed optimism stage, informed pessimism stage, crisis of meaning. Crash and burn, and then hopeful realization. I'd like to just kind of hone in on on crisis of meaning because I think that 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 is a really big issue that you know a lot of entrepreneurs face, sometimes on a daily basis, and like, what the heck am I doing here? and it, it how how can entrepreneurs approach this stage when they find themselves in this like meaning of life question? What are the steps they should follow to, to get past that and back to that hopeful realization stage?
0: Well, some, some of it is that, that the roller coaster that we are on as CEOs is just a roller coaster that we can never get off. So it's being okay that you're at a stage. It's not a good stage or a bad stage. So this uninformed optimism, this crazy, you know, energetic, um, hell yeah, we're going to take over the world stage can be both good and bad, you know, it can be good because people will follow your energy and ideas and enthusiasm and you'll start stuff. It can be bad because you can make really bad decisions like, you know, the million dollar Super Bowl ads without really having a strong business plan. Um, so you, you've got to be able to just know that, Hey, you're at a stage, the uninformed or the informed pessimism is when all of a sudden you're kind of getting a little more information. You're getting a little more nervous. Well, that's actually a good stage to be at because you're more cautious. You're more careful with your planning. You're more careful with your hiring and your budgeting and your purchase decisions. But you don't necessarily want to talk to the media when you're at you know, the informed pessimism stage. You know, if the, you're talking to Amy Casper at Entrepreneur Magazine. She goes, how's it going? You well, it's okay. I'm a little worried about You don't want to do that. You want to talk to the media when you're at that uninformed optimism stage. So the crisis of meaning, a lot of people will look at that as a really scary, bad, horrible stage. And it is you know, you're at the bottom, you're worried your business is going to go bankrupt or you want to sell or you're thinking about popping it in. The reality is you just need a break. You need to actually get out of the office for an hour or a day or a month or a week. You need to disconnect from some of the stuff you're working on. Um, I think it's actually insane, literally insane that business people are reading as many business books as they're reading without tying the business books to some specific purpose. I think it's insane that business people go through a Saturday and Sunday without taking a full break from their email and from business reading. You need to relax your brain a little bit, and if if you don't take those complete disconnect times from work, you'll never actually be recharged enough to go back in and hit the ground running. Like yeah. this, this weekend, I was away September, or sorry, um, Saturday and Sunday, I was up at Whistler skiing for two days with my kids. I didn't do any work. I didn't read any business periodicals. I didn't think about business. I didn't check my emails. I didn't worry about work, but when I came home late Sunday night, I was ready to hit the ground. And, mm-hmm. um, so that's probably how I'm able to avoid those crisis of meaning stages a little bit more than I used to, as I'm able to relax a little bit more along that curve.
1: Yeah. You know, uh, one of, one of the things that my wife and I have instituted at our, at our house, uh, is, uh, a technology free zones. It's awesome. And, um, The main one is, is our bedroom, you know, and specifically our bed, because you, you find a lot of people and we were doing this, like we would get to bed and then we'd bust out our iPad and we'd like go on Facebook. And like, then two hours later, after you've had death by linkage, uh, you know, you're like super fried and then you can't sleep because your brain is like, you know, going, going, going. And so we finally just said, you know what? No more. We got to we're No, no technology in the bedroom. That is this, that is a uh, a sanctuary and a sacred place and and then also like for me and this is a hard thing for me it's something I'm I'm aware of and I'm I'm working on is when I get home from from the office I I've got to put my phone away like where I don't see it it's not in my pocket because that way I can be fully present with my kids and my wife check in on their days see how they're going because that's family time yeah. And it's hard. It's hard for entrepreneurs to do that because we think that everybody needs an immediate response. But no, people can wait.
0: Well, some of it is that we think they need an immediate response. Some of it is that we think that we're you know, somehow going to get it all done. But the reality is we're never going to get all the work done in the first place. You're right. always going to set new goals. You know, Once you get your entire to-do list done, you'll set another set of goals. So you're never going to get it all done anyway. So you may as well stop trying to. Um, the other thing I think a lot of people do is we hide in our work because we've forgotten what the other hobbies were and what our bucket list is personally. You know, we tend to be very good at setting all these business goals for ourselves, but are we setting personal goals? Are we, you know, engaged in life? Are we challenging ourselves at our sports and our hobbies or are we merely just, you know, being busy? And, um, you know, we, we say that lie to each other that I love what I do. Well, that's great. I'm glad you love what you do, but, are you being the role model to your friends and your kids? Totally. Are your kids looking at you and going, wow, mom and dad are really engaged in life and doing lots of cool stuff. Or is all they're seeing mom and dad doing is working. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I'm guilty. I'm guilty of that far too often.
1: Yeah, no, it's a, it's a good point. And I mean, you know, I, I think our kids see us on our technology, on our phone, on our iPad far too frequently. And, and, you know, we live in this beautiful place in Santa Cruz and we're, and we're not outside enough. Exactly. One of my favorite parts of your book are are the the letters you wrote to yourself. And so why is it important to take time and reflect on the past? Um oh, I, I, or is it a, or is it a way to like kind of or is it, it or is it the opposite? Is it actually um writing yourself about the future?
0: No, I think for for me it was being able to just sit down and say, you know, what did I learn? Um, Instead of being busy and trying to learn from everybody else, have I dug deep and looked into myself and into my soul and into my own experiences and said, what have I learned from me? You know, I don't think we, we do that enough as individuals. You know, if your listeners are 30, 40, 50 years old, they've got 30, 40 or 50 years of combined wisdom that they've built up from interacting with people and going to school, you know, what did they learn about themselves and how they interact with people? What did they learn about themselves and how they work? You know, did they find that there were certain, like, I know for sure that I work well at night and I don't work well in the mornings. I was the same in college. Um, I know that I like bigger groups and I'm, I'm a little bit more nervous than smaller groups. I noticed that I'm shy when I walk into bigger rooms. You know, I knew that when I was in college. So how can we dig into our own Treasure trove of, of um, you know of experiences and start to to capitalize on those for ourselves. Instead of reading another business book of somebody else's experience, why don't we tap into our own experiences and really,
1: really let it sink in? You know that, that you bring up a really good point because I don't think we we give ourselves enough credit for the achievements that that we've we've made or even the failures that we've learned from. And and actually, Bo in his in his podcast episode, he actually talks about that, about how important it is because stories are your personal stories are incredibly powerful and they are really the, the game changer uh, for, for most people. I'm trying to look up his, it's Bo. Um, I think his last name is Beeson. I, I I'm probably screwing that up, but um, he's, he's, it's a really fantastic episode and you can tell the the passion. The Bo, Bo Eason. Is, it, is it Bo Eason? Yeah, the story. He's a he's a story storyteller. Ex uh, former NFL. Yeah, it's Bo, Bo Eason. Eason. Bo Eason. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, amazing reminder about that. You know what? Your successes are great, but the stories really exist from those hard moments that you where you've overcome adversity and 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 gone on to achieve. That greatness. And it's important to reflect on that and to and to hold those things because those are also the things that you're going to pass down directly to the next generation in your own family, let alone a corporate America.
0: You know, it's funny. I was just thinking about yesterday that, that far too few people um, are actually introspective enough and try to learn from themselves. And they often blame all of these outside influences or people or society or global financial crisis, they're so apt to blame everybody else, but they often don't look at their own contribution to the problem. And I think one of the strongest signs of a good leader is someone who blames their own contribution to the problem first. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's that learning from your own failure. So at the same time, I'm actually quite strong there, but I also wanted to get strong in learning from my own successes as well. And I think that I am probably the best mentor I can have for myself if I will allow myself to be introspective and look at my contributions to today's success, this month's success, this month's, you know, this quarter's success and failures. Um, imagine if I can truly learn from myself as I go, that's way more powerful than reading another business yeah, book. Yeah, it's,
1: it's all about pausing and, and savoring those moments because they're they're critical for us. Uh, they're they're fuel for the future too. Yeah, exactly right. There's a, a, a book uh, written by a guy named Clay Christensen um, called How Will You Measure Your Life? And it's, a, it's an interesting book. He's a Harvard business professor. So there's, it's a mixture of story and theory. But the next question is, is basically the title of that book. Because it was a really powerful question. It made me pause and think. So how will you measure your life?
0: Right now, it's, it's really on, on my ability to raise good kids. And I think I've learned this mostly from my wife that our role... We have four kids. and, and um, I have four too. Yeah, two girls and two oh, boys. And I think our role our same. role is I'm saying, yeah. nice. So our role is to raise nice young adults and, and to raise happy, healthy, independent children so that they can leave the nest. And for me, that's the primary. I mean, it has to be the primary. Yeah. Um, you know, over what I can do with myself or society or business, it's can I take these four kids and set them up so that they can be successful and they can be happy, healthy and independent kids as well. Like I was happy watching my kids this morning, making their lunches and one of them diving in to have some more fruit before he left for school. And I'm just going, wow, this, this kid is choosing at, at almost 15 years old is choosing healthy options.
1: Um, and it's just nice to see. That's, that's fantastic. And it, it, it's a lot of fun to see them, uh, achieve breakthroughs. My kids are in, uh, we do martial arts and all four of them are in it. And they're, they're really just having a blast, but not only that, but they're realizing that they're capable of doing things that they didn't think they were capable of, such as putting their fist through a solid piece of wood. You know, <laughs> I mean, yep, it's really sure. powerful and, and that, that's, um, that's the best kind of treasure that there is. It's
0: amazing. And I think that's what we have to keep focused on.
1: Yeah. How can our subscribers connect with you and interact with you?
0: Um, on the, 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 You know, the best place is com. So it's Cameron, H-E-R-O-L-D.com. And they can get a copy of my book, Double Double, off of Amazon or iTunes or Audible. They can also watch all four of my speaking events. Uh, If they go to my website, they can actually get all of those right off my website. Um, So that's probably the easiest ways. And then my blog, where I continually am sharing information and ideas like this as well.
1: Okay. And you're you're pretty active on Twitter, too.
0: I am. Yeah, I am very active on Twitter. I've been on Twitter for... uh, This May will be eight years that I've been on Twitter.
1: Oh man! Wow, they've they've been around for like ten years, I think. So you were an early adopter. About nine. Okay, awesome. I was very early adopter. That's awesome. Uh, any last words of wisdom for our listeners?
0: Yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's it's to not take ourselves so darn seriously, and it's you know, can we can we just wake up in the morning and start having fun at what we do, and let's leave others that we touch on a daily basis with a sense of our smile and our our fun and our healthy enjoyment of life as well. Because at the end of the day, none of us are getting out of this alive. We may as well have fun along the way.
1: Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, Cameron Harold sharing uh, uh, his words of wisdom and fascinating information about how you can impact your organization and impact your life. Thanks for tuning in today. And Cameron, thanks for being a guest on the Impact Entrepreneur Show.
0: Michael, you're welcome. Had fun. Really, I'm really glad
1: you brought me on. Thanks, Cameron. Wow, what a fascinating conversation we just had with Cameron Harold. He started by sharing with us the why behind the reason he is an entrepreneur. And I encourage you to ask some of the same questions and think about it intentionally. Why are you an entrepreneur and what impact do you want to have in the world? We talked about the three critical components of being a mentor or being mentored. The 11 common traits of entrepreneurs share with those labeled as being bipolar. How many of those traits did you have? I had several of them, if not all 11. Seven ways to get focused and stay focused. Five stages of the entrepreneurial roller coaster ride and how to approach each stage. And there's so much more inside of this episode. It's a treasure trove of information and we will link to all that we can in the show notes and encourage you to use that as a resource for your continued education. And last and certainly not least, if you like this podcast, if you like this episode, please go to iTunes, rate, review, subscribe. You can visit us at www.theimpactentrepreneur.net and subscribe to the blog and the podcast there as well. And uh, you know read some of our articles and, and le- let us know what you're thinking and, and what your thoughts about the website and the podcast are. We really value you and appreciate you. And in the meantime, go have an impact.